0: Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, and if you can hear me, uh, may it please the court. Uh, I'm August Fleming with the Justice Department, and I'm here on behalf of the United States. I'm going to try and reserve five minutes for rebuttal. Okay. Uh, you can
1: see the clock
0: on I see a clock, counting down.
1: Uh,
0: the, feb- the federal rules that were published last year represent 23 years of experience with the Flores Agreement. The rules implement the overarching goal of that agreement. They establish binding regulatory standards that treat all minors with dignity, respect, and special concern for their special vulnerability. Those rules and the many dramatic changes in the law and circumstances since 1997 call for permitting the rules to replace the Flores Agreement agreement as the governing law in this area. Continuing under the agreement is inconsistent with the flexible approach called for by Rule 60B and emphasized by the Supreme Court in Horn and, Flo- and uh, excuse me, Rufo. And those court, the court in those cases were faced with decrees that were far less long-running and far less far-reaching than the one here. A flexible repro- approach under Rule 60B is particularly warranted where the agreement itself was designed to be temporary It anticipated terminating years ago upon the promulgation of rules under the APA and invoked an APA process that would have permitted changes to the rules to reflect new circumstances over the years and as time passed. And indeed, an APA process that requires rule makers to consider the circumstances today, not 23 years ago, in publishing new rules. and also requires them to consider comments from the public, not just from the plaintiffs. To be sure, termination of this agreement would not create a legal void. It will simply mean the comprehensive standards set forth in these new rules can be evaluated, they'll apply, they'll be binding, and they can be evaluated in their own terms under the APA and under applicable substantive law. And this is a process that has been halted by the district court's word. We think the district court erred and abused its discretion and joined the rules based on perceived conflicts with the Flores Agreement, which the court, we think, overstated.
2: Well, let, let's suppose, just a minute, so, uh, your, your 60B argument, as I understand it, doesn't way well, you've just made it anyway, doesn't depend on whether they're overstated or not overstated. I mean, You're saying that the agreement should be terminated regardless of how much, whether there is a, a court torture argue that there's not a substantial difference with regard to a company minor, uh, between the two for the agreement and the regular. Uh but your ultimate argument is that doesn't matter and what are the change circumstances link up to those particular changes or to a company uh,
0: Judge Berzman I want to apologize your audio is coming in and out so I heard oh, I'm sorry.
2: Hmm. is this any better
0: Yes, yes.
2: All right, do you want me to do it again?
0: Well... But my uh, basic
2: point, uh, my basic question is, let's assume that the, at least with regard to accompanied minors, there are ma- major or significant differences. As I understand your argument, that wouldn't necessarily matter. Um, so if there were, in fact, the requisite change circumstances... That justified um, modifying the agreement. Now, now you're not asking to modify the agreement; you're asking to terminate it, which is another question. But um, so, I I guess I have two main points of inquiry. One: How do the particular changes, particularly the factual changes, link up to the differences um, or or the, the need to change the agreement from what it's been interpreted to be, and? B, since you've asked to terminate it and not modify it, does that make a difference in our evaluation? And
0: and I I want to say, we think these uh, factors that Horn and Rufo talk about all play off each other and work together, so we're not relying on any one part of that decision. I think that those decisions talk about the passage of time, changes in the law, changes in circumstances – whether there has been a durable remedy created in another, by another means, which we think the new rules are, and just the notion that this is so broad and all, it covers such a large portion of the immigration system, it's both unmanageable as a class action and has serious implications for democratic processes to have it operated under a consent decree. So we think all that works together, but I think I also want to dispute the notion that there's a radical change with respect to family custody in these rules. And I think, uh, Couple, you're kind of the, fading out. I'm, Oh, I don't, I will try. I think we're all having the same problem. I will try. I, I'm to, hearing
2: you fine. So there's some, dissonance.
0: okay, I'll do my, I'll, I'll be as loud as I can without yelling. Uh, we would dispute the notion that the family custody provisions are a significant departure from the Flores Agreement. I want to be very clear about that. the The judge relied almost exclusively on those those it, that issue with res, res, respect to family custody. But this court in 2016 said quite clearly that quote the parties gave inadequate attention to the problems of accompanying minors. I I,
2: actually think the, the word, I think the language was a little less. Than that, and the side to which the ultimate conclusion was that the, the agreement applies. Now, I, I, I mean, one of the problems with this case is that you don't think the agreement applies, saying that the government. Um, and it's hard to escape the conclusion that a lot of what's going on here uh, is an attempt to um, implement the understanding that it doesn't apply. Um, so we have to take that off the table. As far as we're concerned, as a three-judge court, it applies. Um, and with that understanding, um, why isn't this a major departure? And does it matter whether it's a major departure, from your point of view, in terms of your argument?
0: Well, saying that the agreement applies to a company minors, which I agree is binding precedent in this court, does not answer the question of whether the rules square with the floors agreement provisions. And I think what, we're, what I'm trying to say is, in, the, in this court's ruling that said it applies, this court also was very clear to say that the Flores Agreement didn't answer key questions about how to handle accompanying minors. So there was a regulatory void that this court acknowledged, and the provisions that, ju- that the lower court had concerns about were filling that void. And they did not directly contradict anything in the agreement. Uh, well, but
3: but uh, address this. I, I think part of part of the district court's uh, problem with these proposed rules, I think, especially as pertained to uh, accompanied minors, is that I, I think she called it uh, aspirational or precatory and not really, you know, regulatory uh, uh, commands. What's your response to that? Uh,
0: the, the lower court, in, in primarily talking about the HHS rules that pertain to unaccompanied minors, was concerned that they, some of them, were, term, were used the present tense rather than the word shall, and therefore were not binding obligations. The regulatory preamble makes clear that they are binding. You
1: know, the must, language. If I can interrupt, I'm not so sure I agree with that. The present tense verb looks, if I'm just reading it, it is telling me that that's what the agency in that circumstance does, it doesn't tell me at all that there's an obligation. And if you're telling me to look elsewhere from the text, that's a very odd way to write a binding obligation.
0: I mean, I think it it comes from the fact that HHS is talking about what it's doing in the regulation, as opposed to a, the consent decree, where the, where the court or plaintiffs are telling HHS what it shall do. And I don't think that's meant to be a substantive substantive change. The, root, the but, preamble hey, can you, regulation. Can you,
2: point, can you point to regulatory language elsewhere that's written that way? I understand the will point. That's different. But in terms of this statement of traditions, which is all that these that sentences seem to be, it's hard to believe that it wasn't purposeful. Why would somebody write that way? It I, I to think it's,
0: it's, it's designed to, to reflect ongoing duties and obligations of HHS and ORR. And that's, I think, uh, the cases that uh, the plaintiff's cite, and the, there's the Tin Cup case and the Norton Supreme Court case, they talk about very different Circumstances and those the court in Norton said you have to look at all the surrounding circumstances. Here, the surrounding circumstances, which include the preamble that says these obligations are binding, and the, what this whole thing is designed to do, which is to create a binding uh, obligations with respect so, to. Tins. So, in other
2: words, you would have no objection if the um, uh, modification were denied to the degree that you have to put back in the shelling.
0: I, well, I think we'd say first, this court can make clear that the obligations are binding. We would welcome that. Uh, if the court thinks that uh, the, the only problem with these regulations are the need to add the word shall, I think uh, I think the agencies would be happy to do that.
1: Well, um, that I'm afraid is not my only problem. I'd like to return to Judge Burson's question really, which is to say, we've got a number of changes and I'll just go over them very quickly. Just alluding to them without describing them uh, in any detail. We've got a number, uh, we've reduced the number of custodians from six to three. We've changed and eased up the licensing requirement for the facilities. There's been a redefinition of a secure facility. There has been an easing off as to who gets to conduct the bond here. Now, all of those are significant changes. And your argument is the changed conditions on the ground are linked up and justify those changes. I don't understand what the linkage is.
0: Well, the, the first four that you mentioned all have to do with family custody. Well,
1: and the change well, on the ground is, I understand that, but we've always had family custody. We've got more families, but I don't understand why more families means you get to make more changes in response.
0: Again, that is that is a major component of the immigration challenge today and one that this court said the parties didn't really address the details of. So, and it said the parties did not address the, quote, quote, complex issues involving the housing of family units end quote. If the parties didn't address it, the, the way they handled uh, licensing and the way well, they, they handled... they
2: didn't address it because the agreement treats the... Company miners same way. You, the, I'm the having trouble hearing you. If you maybe oh, I'm sorry, I don't know why. Um, maybe a little closer to the mic. That might. Huh, be- that's really odd because I've done this so many times and I haven't had a problem. anyway, fine. let me try. Is that better? Yeah, much better. Okay, so the I lost my train of thought. Um, I, I mean, basically, I guess I have judgment. First of all, as I understand it, there are now two family um, detention centers in the country. Is that right?
0: There's th- there are three, two in that Texas and one in Pennsylvania.
2: Okay, but they're in Texas and they're in Pennsylvania, um, and they house a, a, a minuscule percentage of the large number of people that you're referring to, right?
0: Well, I mean, the current conditions are very different than they were not too long ago, given uh, uh, COVID nineteen and just a lot of significant action since then. So, there are very few all people. let right, right.
2: let's let's say in February they, they they housed a minuscule percentage of the of the huge influx that you're talking about. So, well, how by, does by it then. matter? What's the I mean, how does this this no, large number showing up at the border have to do with the actual conditions that are being addressed um by the change in the rules uh, there is a big there is a big i mean it's a big number and i think it's a big enough number that if you could link it up to the um to the need for change it might mean something but what is the how does it link up
0: there have been repeated border crises that are driven by irregular family migration over the last six years. There's no denying that. This has been a crisis. Okay, but but
2: we're not dealing with the border. border. We're dealing with inside the country when people are detained. I mean, there's no dispute in this case, as I understand it, about the regulation as it applies to the conditions directly at the border. People, the the initial detentions that were um, addressed in Flores 3. I do not understand there to be a dispute in this case about that. Right? That is
0: exactly what that is exactly what the lower court focused on in invalidating this entire regulatory scheme. I, I'm How sorry, I,
2: I don't think she focused on it at all. I thought that the first, the the, the conditions when people first come over the border and these various temporary detentions was not the subject of this.
0: Yeah, I, you're, I'm sorry, Your Honor. I thought you were talking about the, the next period. So no, no the initial, no, okay. the, the so, initial. So passage.
2: therefore and as to the next period we seem to be talking, I don't know why I don't understand the dynamic of a, a quite small number of families that
0: are being affected is that correct? Uh, I mean, no, I think the the a
2: thousand, of... under a thousand people as I understand
0: currently or again at, at in
2: February, let's take February okay? Uh, in terms of the, the, the three detention centers, one had 80 or 90 people, one had 600 people and I don't know about the third Small. I mean, that,
0: sound, that sounds right. I don't know the precise February right, numbers. So what but I does guess. the
2: huge influx at the border have to do with this?
0: Again, again, there have been these crises at the border over the last six years. There have been multiple crises, and there are no rules for family custody. The Flores Agreement, as this court said, it covers company minors, but it said the rules just aren't well developed. So we need rules. We need some clear rules, and that's well, what this. But it r-
2: actually said, as I understand it, is the rules are well developed, but maybe they don't. They, maybe if somebody had thought about it, they wouldn't have applied the same rules to the, the family uh, accompanied children as to the unaccompanied
0: children. Let's, but it, let's talk
2: about the, the word rules.
0: Well, let's talk about one in particular, Rule 14, which is what Judge G focused on. That's the release and reunification rule. It says DHS, if they're not a flight risk, shall. Uh, release and reunify with a a series of custodians in an order of preference the first two custodians are the parent and the legal guardian but the child is with the parent and the legal guardian or the legal guardian but they're not
2: released it's sections about release
0: it's about release and reunification and it simply does not answer the question what you do when the child is with the parent can safely stay with the parent in a licensed family residential center, which did not exist in 1997, which complies with all of the requirements of the uh, Exhibit 1 to the Flores Agreement, which are the core provisions designed to create custody environment that is suitable to child welfare, which all apply under these rules to the family residential centers, and it did not address the issues of what happens if you separate the inquiries for the child and the accompanying parent. This court last year said, well, there's a lower parole standard for the child, a higher parole standard for the parent. And if a parent is, and if both of them get that parole inquiry, it could often result in different answers on parole. The rule fixes that. The rule makes clear that during this brief period where credible fear is decided, and again, I want to stress, this is a short period. Judge G. Uh, wants it to be under 20 days, and the agencies have worked to make it as fast as possible under the circumstances. It's a short period when the district court allowed family residential centers to be used so the family could stay together, and this credible fear processing could be looked at together, and there would be no law that would require uh, different standards for the different members of that family. That is a I reasonable think, but, way to But rest-
2: then, as I understand it, if they are it's a credible fear determination, um, there are different standards.
0: Excuse
2: me? And there are different standards, as I understand it, because the the sh- children can be released under the humanitarian provision uh, and the parents can't.
0: After credible fear, uh, right. After the, credible family fear. Can, the, the family can really be released under the same standard, uh, humanitarian provision, likely won't, not a flight risk or danger under the revised parole standard, which this rule creates. So it creates a parole standard that allows release under this section. Excuse me, the paragraph fourteen standard for if they establish credible fear, but for the brief period but, before, but, excuse,
2: I was confused about that. I thought that was only for the children.
0: No. I mean, I think the, the regulation is for the children, but I, again, the, the it allows the the and again, I I need to look again at exactly what the regul the the post credible fear. Uh, parole standard is for adults, but I think I, I think the the idea was to line those up at both before credible fear when there was a, a dispute last year over whether they should be lined up and and after credible fear when I don't think there's ever been a dispute about them lining up and so to facilitate uh, the family being uh, processed under that credible fear process as a unit with without issues of family separation without issues of. Are they going to have to waive one consent decree or another consent decree? And the notion that the, the Flores Agreement addresses this and solves this problem, and let me add to that, the notion that a core purpose of the Flores Agreement was to require a child's release when the, the child could be with the parent in custody in a safe environment for a short period of time is just not a fair assessment of what the parties were doing back in 1997. Where, where
2: does this short period of time
0: Again, the credible fear processing is designed to be fast. And if you All look right, at but the... But, bon- but this
2: isn't only about credible fear processing. It's also about hearing removal
0: proceedings. Well, during removal proceedings, again, I don't think there's a dispute from plaintiffs that the standards are satisfactory. I mean, and Mr. Holguin might just might talk about that as part of the argument, but the real focus of Judge G was before the credible fear determination is made in that period where last year, this court said you had different parole standards for the parents and the child. And as far as the time for credible fear, and we've been having a, a fact finding on that recently, but in the, the thing that's in the record at ER 198 to 199 is the monitor's August 2019 report. That report says 75% of class members were out of ICE custody within 17 days. 90% were out of ICE custody within 23 days. And so it's designed to be, it's expedited removal. The, 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 the point is to do it promptly. And uh, uh, that is kind of the way it's designed to be. And I think the the, the rules ch- took those challenges and came up with a pretty solid solution. And we're, one
1: we're, we're, we're running over time, but we'll make sure you get a chance to respond. I've got a question about the relation between the significant influx of families at the border and the argument you're making here, the argument you're making here is dependent upon large numbers of families actually within the country. But of course, most of these families are being uh, not allowed. They're being held at the border. Uh, We've got two of them. One of them says, well, you wait for your hearing while you stay in Mexico. The other one says you're ineligible uh, unless you've applied for and been denied asylum uh, in either Mexico or Guatemala so the truth is uh, you don't have very many people in the country so tell me more about the change conditions that the additional people require because they, they're not here
0: sure and I, I mean we've talked about the change conditions over the years and there's no and, and again what happened in 2018 to 2019 was a, a, a crisis situation at the southern border
1: no, now, I please answer the question. The question is, I don't think you've got very many people actually in the country to whom this new regulation applies, yet you seem to be telling us you're justifying the new regulation because there's so many people. But there aren't very many I, people because they're being held outside the country.
0: Well, I want to be clear. We are relying on several aspects of Rufo and Horn, including change conditions and the change conditions isn't just about how many people are at the border today or in 2019 or in february it's about the fact that without a a a durable system to address the situation which the flores agreement doesn't include there are repeated migration crises and they will happen again and when it happens there go ahead i'm sorry I'm sorry, when it happens again, we don't have clear rules on how to address it. We have constant litigation under the Flores Agreement which was never designed to address this, which this court said didn't address all these details. It would be much better to have these rules right, but it to-
2: does address the details. You just don't like the way it comes out. In other words, it addresses the details. It says the order in which people have to be, children have to be released. Says they do have to be released. They do have to have bond hearings. Um, it says... Um, that the um, just applies the same set of when it says that they can have to be have to be in state licensed um, uh, facilities, and it happens as I understand it, that two states where there are these facilities do have state license for the facilities. So they are there are are in state licensed facilities, but it's but in Texas and, and Pennsylvania they could be licensed. So uh, it, it, see, it isn't
0: that there aren't rules. It's that you don't think they're appropriate rules. Uh, I, you know, I, the, this court addressed this issue in 2016 and said the settlement does not address the complex issues involving housing of family units. That includes licensing. That includes egress. That includes things that this rule tried to answer, and I think it answered it in good ways. It said on licensing, the rule fully defers to state licensing. If a state is going to regulate we will comply with those state standards. And the two states with facilities do regulate and it all works together well. The only issue there is if a state declines to regulate. And as this court held last last year in US v. California, the state can't use its regulatory authority to prohibit immigration detention. So I think that rule addresses the state licensing in a very reasonable way and it incorporates the agreement in light of the fact that the parties didn't really contend And when we were here in 2016, we said, well, it's clear this agreement didn't cover unaccompanied minors because there was no provision for licensing for families. And this court said it does cover unaccompanied minors, but you're right. They really didn't, they didn't really contend with how the custody is going to work. And now it's been flipped on us again to say, oh, you can't even do that licensing. You agreed it, agreed to it long ago. And it's just those two, (coughs) those two considerations just can't go together.
1: I think we have your argument in hand. Let's hear from the other side. And you'd ask if you're you're over five, but we'll give you a chance to respond. We'll make sure that you don't get cut off.
0: Thank you, Your
4: Honor. Uh, (coughs) Yes, may it please the court. uh, This is Carlos Hulgin with the Center for Human Rights and Constitutional Law uh, on behalf of plaintiffs. Um, I I think there were a number of of, uh, issues I'd like to clarify in uh, my opponent's argument. I mean, the first really is that the unstated rationale for a defendants desired changes is that indefinite detention of accompanied children will deter others from seeking to enter the United States without authorization that that really is what it boils down. I
2: for. have a question. there. Yes, is uh, the assertion was made that this is all about the period before
4: um, credible fear um, determination. Is that right? No, it is not, Your Honor. First of all, not everyone passes uh, the credible fear uh, determination, and so then the question becomes, how long are they going to be detained while they seek to have that reviewed by an immigration judge or even a court of appeals. so the the assumption of the of my opponent's argument seems to be that uh, you know everyone's going to be released once they establish a credible fear. Uh, the question becomes not only how long does it take for them to get through that process, but what happens when they fail to persuade uh, the frontline uh, immigration officer that they have a credible fear of return. But, but even if
2: they do, a credible fear. does that get the, the parents released?
4: Well, uh, the, this court has held that there is uh, no obligation for the government to release uh, parents under the Flores settlement. That's uh, settled law. But what parents and families should have the right to do is to elect to have their children housed in properly licensed facilities, if they so wish, for however long they're going, their children are going to be detained. And if they have relatives and other individuals in the United States who are available to receive their children, that they can make that decision to have their children released while, while the children go forward. Oh, so are you saying with, uh, that, it, that whatever. I,
2: I'm confused. new regulation. Allow them to have their children released, even if they're not released at that point, once there's a credible fear. I mean, it seemed to me to be a kind of vague. I said, well,
4: maybe, but it's completely unreviewable. up to them. Well, uh, Your uh-huh. Honor, the big change in the regulation is that uh, what, what's happening, what would happen under the regulation is that the government would have discretion to decide to detain the children. Uh, regardless of the parents' wishes, for howsoever long it may take them to complete their asylum or, or uh, removal proceedings. Uh, in other words, it would be up to the discretion of the government to release or not, whereas under the settlement, there is a clear obligation that they do so on, as long as the child is not a flight risk, is not dangerous, and there is a suitable custodian. And a slightly different question Are the
1: parents getting released? Uh, that would be the microphone. I'm having trouble hearing you again oh, I'm I'm
2: really
4: sorry okay. I keep trying to all right. are the parents being released at that point that is again up to the government to do the parole regulations are not do uh, not impose any kind of mandatory obligation to release anyone it's completely up to the discretion of the government uh, but I the,
2: thought the regulations say with regard to adults that they aren't to be released even while they're in the credible field Proceedings, as long as, except for medical reasons or something else. I forget what.
4: That that is the general approach of the regulations, Your Honor. So yes, the presumption is in favor of detaining the parents, whereas the flora settlement requires a presumption in favor of release of the children. This is what's called a binary choice. No one's happy with it. But if uh, if the government insists on detaining uh, uh, individuals or families in order to deter others from coming forward, uh, the limits of the law are what we have to live within. Okay.
1: So, so um, basically what's at stake here really is a, is a subset. Uh, if the parents wish the children to stay with them in detention and the parents are detained, there's nothing in the florist agreement that says that the children have to be released. So what's at issue here is the situation in which the parents are willing to have the children to be out of custody in one of the circumstances described uh, in the Flores agreement. I mean, that's, that's the basic uh, uh, difference. Is that my
4: understanding properly? That's the basic difference with respect to release of accompanied minors. Yes. Of course, there are a number of other differences with the regulations that your honors uh, cited earlier, which are also, we, we also believe are very important, but yes, with respect to the release of accompanied minors, that is the major difference.
1: No, you just said, well, and there are other important ones that I listed. Tell me, review those for me, because those seem to me having to do with the release. That is to say bond hearing and so on. So say more.
4: Well, the, the first is that is that the type of facility in which children are to be kept, the flora settlement requires that they be licensed by the state in which the facility is located as suitable for dependent children. Now that's after they're released, correct? And no, this is this so, is while while they remain in in immigration related custody. But but
1: with parents or with or not with the parents, it,
4: it, the 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 uh, the settlement does not distinguish between accompanied and unaccompanied minors. It simply says all children, all class members, are entitled to be placed in a properly licensed facility for howsoever long as the government keeps them in immigration related. Yeah, so even if they're with the parents, of course they must be in a licensed facility. Yes unless the parents decide to decide to waive that right, of course. Now, what, what the government has done here is that, uh, is that many states, uh, perhaps even the majority, do not uh, deem appropriate facilities in which children have regular daily contact with unrelated adults as being suitable for dependent care licensing. That, that really is the problem that the government has here. Now- I you know, thought
2: that only Pennsylvania and uh, Texas license these facilities
4: uh, but they're,
2: they're are also the only two states
4: where there are such facilities they are the only two states where there are presently such facilities now in Texas the licensing stat, uh, status of the Dilly and Carnes facilities is up in the air uh, in Pennsylvania there's also litigation surrounding that but, as but, but long- not
2: because the statutes don't apply to them it's presumably because they're not there's a dispute about whether they're compliant but not because you couldn't license such a facility is that right?
4: Uh, I would have to get back with the court on the details of what those disputes involve. Uh, I, I will say that most states will not license facilities in which children have regular uh, uh, contact with unrelated adults. But we can we can follow up with that with a post. Uh, but, but,
2: but there isn't such a facility. Has there ever been such a facility in a state that doesn't license them? Has, has the federal government ever had such a facility?
4: Uh, well, yes, Your Honor. Uh, Texas initially would not license Dilley or Carnes, and uh, the government went ahead and put their, their facilities there. There's been some efforts to get Texas to go along with the government's plan since then. But initially, it was just, we're going to put the facilities here, we know they're not licensed, and we're just going to uh, operate them without a license. So so that has been the reality, and and whether the... Uh, in but but adi- it's, isn't, I mean, doesn't
2: that give some credence to the notion that the agreement just didn't deal with this i mean because they, they and there was no understanding that there were, this problem was going to exist i suppose because at the time and this is what the you know versus flora's opinion said: the understanding was with the family would be released but they now they're not being released Their parents are uh and this problem has developed which didn't exist before why isn't that a reason that might substantiate some of well, not the, necessarily termination, but some modification.
4: Your Honor, if you look at the uh, regulations that were on the books at the time the floor settlement was signed, you will see that there is a regulation that addresses the situation of families and encourages the government to release the families, uh, parents, along with the children. Now, the government can decide that it does not want to release the parents and force the families into this binary choice. But that doesn't mean that the, that the parties didn't understand that this was going to be a problem at the time that the settlement was aimed, uh, and and the the very existence of a statute of a regulation that addressed families at the time the settlement was entered into, I think forecloses the conclusion that there would there, uh, the parties simply did not ever think about it and it was never a problem until uh, more recently. Um,
2: but if if a family if a family um, wants to keep the children with them. Yes, and they're in the facility, and the facility isn't licensed because it's some place that won't license them. Then that option—you say they have the option, but in, in in a sense, they don't have the
4: option. Well, if they want to remain, there's 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 it is a it is a, a, a called a Sophie's choice, a binary choice, whatever you want to call it. It is not something that is pleasant, uh, but the parents still and the families would still have the, uh, the right to determine whether they want their children placed in a properly licensed facility or whether they want them released to uh, relatives that are outside of, of detention itself. The price- or, or if they want to keep them
2: with them in an unlicensed facility?
4: Correct. Yes. That is the choice. That is the choice that the government has forced upon the families. We do not like it, but uh, in, in uh, 2016, the court ruled that the floor settlement does not give the uh, parents any right to release. And so now we're forced with into this circumstance. But the point is, is that at least it's a choice that the families have. It is not a choice that the government is making for the families, regardless of their, of their wishes. It's the best we can do under a bad circumstance. But the, 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 the remainder of the conflicts between the, between the regulations and the Flora settlement are many. It's not only this one. There is the, uh, the aspirational st- uh, statements that uh, Judge Yashim referred to earlier. Uh, we don't think that there's any reason the government has never given a coherent explanation as to why those changes, why they removed shall and substituted in uh, uh, present tense or even will for, for what the settlement says. And, and and there, then there's the removal of, of the uh, independent review of children's uh, dangerousness and flight risk as grounds for consent. But, to but the,
2: the court in some degree um, was not focusing on what the different and, and precise way in which the implementation was not consistent with the prior agreement uh, or prior consent decree in one case, and I guess it was a, an adjudicated Injunction and in the other. Um, instead they were concerned with whether there had been sufficiently changed circumstances that the government should have be able to, to go forward without the burden of the earlier decree. Um, so I, I, for purposes of whether the thing self-terminated, you know, which I think is a very weak ar- argument on the government's, uh, um, side. Um, Yes, these differences obviously matter. But for purposes of evaluating the the notion that there should be a modification um, because of changed circumstances, I I don't know that these distinctions matter that
4: much. Well, I think that, again, Your Honor, the, the question then becomes how do the changes, the departures in the regulations from the settlement address the changed circumstances?
2: Yes, that because, I think is a fair question. And as
4: members of the court have already pointed out, more than one, uh, they, the only way that they make sense is if the government can justify those changes as a, gra- as, as a means of deterring other immigrants from coming to the United States without authorization. And as we've pointed out in our briefing, that is an, unconst- uh, an unconstitutional use of civil detention. Deterrence is something that is, uh, should be confined to the criminal law. Now, the other part of this, of course, is that, uh, so, so the question really has to be is, how does keeping children, removing the children from uh, 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 stripping them of their right to proper placement and to release, prompt release, how does that deter anyone from coming to the United States? We've submitted evidence and studies showing that that really does not work at all. And, and so the question then becomes, what is the linkage between these changes and departures from the from the uh, from the settlement, and, and how do they address the, the problem that the government, in in its uh, in many ways, has created for itself because it refuses to leave, to release parents?
2: Um, do you want to address the the remedy question, at Paul? I mean, there's um, or the severability issue, or whatever one wishes to call it. Um, I gather that there are parts of these regulations that do mirror the agreement um, and with which you don't take issue and why, on the other hand, the government came in and wants to terminate the entire agreement. Um, So what, is there some middle ground here? We sent you off to mediate and you got nowhere, but um, is there a a middle ground in terms of um, something like sending it back to modify the uh, agreement or terminate parts of it, but not other parts or something like that?
4: Well, in terms of the agreement itself, the termination clause, after all, this is a contract. And the termination clause is quite clear that either it is an all or nothing uh, uh, circumstance. What what paragraph uh, 40, as modified by the stipulation, says is, quote, all terms of this agreement shall terminate 45 days following defendant's publication of final regulations implementing this agreement. So, so there is no uh, indication from the text of the agreement itself that piecemeal interpretation uh, termination was at all something the parties agreed had agreed upon.
3: Well, but uh, but do you think under the uh, you know equitable considerations under Rule sixty that could go to uh, say uh, 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 modifying the termination clause? If, if the government- Because would, it'd be equitable to do so with with respect to some, but not all, all of the provision uh,
4: of the agreement? Plaintiffs would concede that under Rule 60, if the defendants are able to make the showing required of under Rule 60, that the court has broad uh, discretionary authority to modify the agreement uh, to suit uh, current circumstances. Um, but that is not-
3: Well, Tim, the reason I asked that question, you know, which is similar to Judge Berzon's question, uh, most, I think most of your complaints uh, to me at least, you know, seem to be centered around the provisions that pertain to uh, accompanied minors. And at least parts of the uh, regulation that address unaccompanied minors, you know, you know, could be read as consistent with the agreement, even, even further in the agreement. So, you think there's a, it's, I don't want to say possible, but you think it makes sense to, uh, you know, to, to accept the regulations that with respect to parts of the agreement, but not the entire agreement.
4: Uh, I, I think your honor that the, the district court was under um... Uh, facing a very difficult circumstance if it was going to do that. Given all of the instances, for example, in which the present tense is substituted for the shall, uh, whether the court was going to uh, go through the regulations, uh, which are quite extensive, and, and begin to edit them. Uh, I, I believe that the, uh, Judge G was correct in saying, you know, that's really not the district court's job to do, to rewrite the regulations here to, to conform to the settlement. Um, you know, that being said, I, and so I, so I believe that she was uh, acted reasonably and with, uh, with concern for the confusion that would be created if these regulations were to be going into effect piecemeal. That being said, the plaintiff's interest in this circumstance is to have the, the agreement uh, remain in effect. If the government believes the changed circumstances uh, warrant some modification, they're free to move the district court to modify, uh, to modify the agreement. To, to, to conform to the co- uh, current circumstances. But uh, to, to expect the district court to go through these regulations in parcel words where the present tense is used versus shall is, I, I think, a, a heavy lift. Um, uh, uh, as I said, the, the plaintiff's interest in this circumstance, however, is that the settlement remain in effect and binding. And and if the court is inclined to grant at least that much, from the court, uh, affirm the district court to at least at that extent, then we believe we can live with that.
1: Yes. Any further questions from the bench? Um.
2: Uh, well, one question. About the bond hearings. Why isn't that a pretty good example of something where there are changed circumstances, which is that the authority for um, these, the, at least the unaccompanied children, have, and maybe that's the problem is that you're, again, you're not distinguishing between them, has been transferred to HHS. And what the regulations want to do with regard to, I guess, just the unaccompanied children is to have what's portrayed as a full due process hearing but with hearing examiners from HHS rather than from DOJ why is that a a, substantial a something other than a a ministerial change to adjust to the changes in the um authority of over these children uh, when 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 this all began, DOJ was was the sole responsible entity. So, in that sense, the immigration judges were no more independent than um, hearing examiners hearing um, administrative law judges at, at HHS are. So, why isn't that a
4: suitable adjustment? Um. Well, Your Honor, that that particular issue was was hashed out extensively, and um, uh, uh, in, a, in an opinion by Judge Reinhardt.
2: I was on the panel, there. Uh, right? <laughs> yes, so, I know what. I said.
4: And, and and so the the, the distinctions. But, but that are, are wasn't
2: the question, because the alternative at that point was was not a formal due process hearing run by an independent ALJ and HHS. The alternative was. Uh, some informal, um, extremely um, inadequate procedure. So this seems to be trying, and uh, maybe it doesn't do it sufficiently, but it seems to be trying to simply move the same thing to a different agency. Maybe it's not sufficiently the same thing, but it's not what was at stake in Florida. It's doing in general. And some it bothers me that you're not all that familiar with the other cases. I was there, and I know what happened, and that was right. not... Here.
4: <laughs> uh, yes, yes, you were, Your Honor. Uh, I, I think the points are a couple. One is that um, they've changed it from, the regulation changes it from an, an opt-out to an opt-in procedure. That's one, which is significant when you're talking about uh, children who uh, don't speak English for the most part, don't understand the U.S. legal system. Uh, so it's a significant change. The second now, part- The
2: government says that there are a total of like 80 such hearings last year. Right? How is it, or at some year. What out of thousands- what um, was the procedure that was being followed at that point? When you offer have somebody have a hearing, don't you say is is it odd to say okay, you have a hearing? Here's a piece of paper, um, and tell us if you want the hearing. Is that what's being done anyway?
4: No, what's been done. What's being done is is essentially that it, uh, children who are in um, uh, secure placements have been have been given. Uh, bond redeterminations, whereas children who are not in secure placements, uh, there's been an opt-in process. That's, that was a gr- an agreement between the parties. Based upon the government's representation, that children placed in licensed facilities or shelters are presumably not dangerous and not flight risks. Now, that's something the government can change tomorrow if it sees fit, and at which point plaintiffs would insist on an automatic bond hearing for every child, regardless of the type of facility that they happen to be in. So, so there has been some accommodation on the, on the part of the parties when it has made sense to do so. And, and plaintiffs remain willing to modify the settlement or at least to, to agree that, it, that deviations from it are appropriate given certain circumstances. But to eliminate the opt-in versus opt-out requirement entirely, which would then allow the government to uh, 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 declare children who are in, 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 in licensed facilities as dangerous, too dangerous, or too much of a flight risk to release, That would be a major problem. Now, your
2: problem isn't with the switch of agencies.
4: The problem with the switch of the agency, you know, theoretically, uh, plaintiffs might be satisfied if the the process that uh, HHS were to set up in lieu of an immigration judge uh, hearing were as robust as the immigration judge proceeding. As the regulation now reads, it's nowhere near that. Uh, The EOIR, or Executive Office of Immigration Review, is insulated at least somewhat from the Department of Justice. It is within the Department of Justice, but it's got its own uh, 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 firewall, if you will. Uh, There's no indication that that would be the case with the HHS hearing examiners. They would not be judges. They would be uh, people appointed by HHS itself, as I read the regulation. So the the, uh, level of procedural protection is not nearly as robust as what would exist under the existing regime.
1: Okay. If there are no further questions, uh, thank you very much. Now, uh, the government asked to reserve uh, five minutes. We took the government five minutes over. Let's put three minutes on the clock and see where we go from there for rebuttal for the government. I, I can't. I can't hear the government. Is the government beyond speaking?
0: I'm still on mute. I'm sorry, Your Honor. Can you hear me now? Start over. There we go. First, I want to just talk briefly about the bond hearing regulation. And one important thing I want to convey is that uh, we took Judge Reinhardt's opinion to heart in that regulation. It adopts all of the protections he identified that were essential uh, for a bond hearing procedure, and I'll go through them. Uh, they're the rules now; they have binding effect. Uh, they're not governed by a manual. There's notice required and notice in each individual case. Uh, There's a right to submit evidence. There's a standard of proof and evidentiary burdens that are actually uh, harder than in a regular bond hearing, more protective uh, in that there's a burden of production by HHS at the start. Uh, There's a right to be represented and there's an administrative appeal. and on the opt-in opt-out like this requires a a a notice with a box to check if you want a bond hearing so we think the proceeding procedure here is as effective as an opt-out and it's important this applies to a tiny number of kids each year I think in 2018 it was 70 out of 50,000 so the notion that you would have an opt-out in 49,930 cases just doesn't make a lot of sense Uh, so the the and, and with those 49,000, HHS does not think they're a flight risk, does not think they're a danger, and that's just like what happens in almost every case. So we think that bond hearing provision is really solid. It takes to heart this court's opinion, and it remember, in 1997, the same agency did bond hearings and immigration enforcement. Congress put the kids into a protective agency rather than an enforcement agency, and it's it, having the bond here, having the hearing procedure there, also we think makes sense as consistent with Congress's design.
2: But and that, you know, but I then ex- have the problem, and this goes to the remedy question where you didn't ask to modify the agreement in certain respects, you asked to terminate um, under 60 b 5 And so I asked the same question I asked before. Found here. You would come in and said, you know what, um, let's change this provision. First of all, I don't know whether you wouldn't have gotten agreement. Second of all, if you did get agreement, um, maybe by that provision. But um, because we now have changed circumstances, we have a whole different procedure in. Uh, and so we should modify that. But that isn't how this is preceded as the problem. So
0: what do we do with we that? Did, we did ask for partial termination. And I think a very reasonable thing, given the state of the regulation and the way it in, incorporates almost all the floors Agreement is the, the piece on HHS and the piece on initial apprehension, which we haven't talked about because as Judge Barrazon, you said at the beginning, it's identical to the Flores Agreement. Uh, the rules should go in place there and the agreement should terminate. And if but we where, want to continue, Where did
2: you ask for pers- partial termination? Where and
0: when? Uh, it, we, it is in our August, I think 29th or August 31st filing in district court. And we obviously asked for that on appeal in our briefs. Uh, and I think the other side is that we haven't and we asked for it at the hearing too and Judge G uh, uh, told the parties if there's something that the floor's agreement doesn't address she might allow the rules to go into a place but our point was for for rules that are identical to the floor's agreement they should be the governing rules and the floor's agreement should terminate for that aspect of the rules. But, and So, and so then got what to,
2: would happen so just a minute so then would you go back to Judge G and she would Say section so and so and so and so and right so and so. The so are, um, pay and the paragraph such and such and such and such, and, such. Uh, and superseded. Uh, and then what? Then you republish your regulations so somebody can look at them and understand what's in effect and what isn't. Wow.
0: Well, we I mean we think it would be pretty straightforward given the dividing line for Judge G. to terminate the agreement, except with respect to family custody, and let the regulations go into effect, except with respect to family custody, and then we can fight about family custody further. Uh, and again, uh, Judge Judge G. didn't really consider that an option, and I don't think plaintiffs are really open to that kind of uh, an option, uh, but we think that that is a clear dividing line. It's very hard to justify continuing the agreement for initial custody and for the HHS rules. Uh, the, uh, I, I'm already over my rebut, rebuttal time. Uh, so uh, the only other, I just wanna clarify one other thing. Uh, opposing counsel suggested that in the credible fear process, the family could be detained pending review by the court of appeals. I wanna be clear, that is not part of the expedited removal process. That process allows a quick, I think seven day review by an immigration judge but it does not go to the BIA and it does not go to to the court of appeals on a petition for review because it's an expedited review process. So you'll never excuse have me, a situation.
2: Excuse me, it does go to the court.
0: No, uh, ex- get
2: those cases all the time.
0: Yeah, those are full removal proceedings. And yes, those no, cases they're
2: not are- full removal proceedings. They are reviews mm-hmm. of the IJ's determination. But your honor, I as to withholding
0: withholding of removal that's a different issue uh and I, again no, i'm not part of the
2: cre- part of the credible fear
0: determination uh no well your honor i, I i'm sorry but uh, the expedite review reviews excuse me expedite removal statute makes clear that credible fear review does not go into the courts uh and there's been litigation over whether that's constitutional i think that's because i don't screen- know what
2: i'm doing we get them as to withhold him.
0: Uh, withholding is a, a different, I mean, that's a substantive standard. And again, I think that would be if, I don't think that review, when it's applied in an expedited removal proceeding would go to the federal courts. But uh, uh, I, I, what I'm really focused on is the credible fear piece. of it. So uh, what I'm trying to stress is the credible fear process is designed to be quick. It is a border authority. It's not applied on the interior and it's applied to people captured Near the border, or at, or who appear at the border without uh, documentation, to enter. So, I again want to stress: uh, we think these rules uh, uh, update and, and implement the Flores Settlement Agreement. They are durable, governing law that can be applied here and considered on their own terms, and should be allowed to go into effect in place of the agreement. Thank you, Your
1: Honor. Thank both sides for their arguments. Uh, Flores uh, versus. Uh, bar now submitted for decision. thank both sides for the. Record.